Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. On the show this week, we talked to James Herring about the story of the last few years of Taylor Herring. From losing 500k of client fees in three weeks in the in Q2 2020 to selling the business to publicists in April 2021, we get the inside track on perhaps the most tumultuous couple of years of any agency in recent history. To give you some context, in Feb 2020, things were looking rosy, and I suspect James and Kath were planning their summer vacation to the south of France. Um, but then in three short weeks, their agency lost about 500k in monthly fee income. And today we're going to talk to James about the turnaround job, which resulted in Puppis's buying Taylor Herring in April 2021, and how the agency is reported, has reported an 40% increase in annual turnover in 2022, uh, which I think is, well, James can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, up to about 6.7 million um, from 4.9 million in fee income. Recent client wins include the likes of Nintendo, NatWest, Iceland and McVitie's. Uh, we're all fans of Jaffa Cakes here. Um, and the likes of Samsung, EasyJet and Disney are long-term clients. So on the show, James and I will talk about where he sees the future of earned media within integrated comms um, once we've, we've covered the sort of turnaround story of uh, of those uh, couple of years with the agency. And thanks so much to the PR podcast sponsors, the PRCA. James, welcome. Nice to see you, Ben. Pleasure to be here. It was uh, well. It's a pleasure to see you. Um, as I was reading that, I realised my uh, my intro was tremendously long today. So thank you for bearing bear, bearing with me. Um, now go on. This is a story that starts at the beginning of the pandemic. We can all cast our minds back to those glorious days. Um, what did the pan- pandemic do to your business then? Well, I think I'm just getting PTSD flashbacks already from those early weeks of COVID. I mean, it wasn't just us. It was a shocker for absolutely everybody. I'm sure everyone's got similar war stories about what it was like uh, back in early 2020. Well, For you us- say that I, I um I spoke to a fair few, and yeah, no no one sort of high fiving when they when they um they remember the that that period. But I think you probably had more on than most. We did. I think it, it was a summer where we had a whole bunch of big events, uh, sponsorships, um, experiential activations. We had stuff going on at the Euros, the Olympics, Wimbledon. Goodwood, shopping centre tours, music festivals, all stuff that was just completely no-go in a world where, you know, people had to be socially distant. Um, And thinking back on it now, I think I just remember there being a phone call a day with, you know, or an email a day going, I'm really sorry, but, you know, we can't go ahead of this. Um, And it doesn't matter whether or not we had sign contracts and agreements and everything else. Clearly, clients are in the same uh, boat as all of us. No bridges were going to be burnt. And... Definitely for six weeks, I think we we spent quite a lot of time scratching our heads going, is there going to be a business at the end of all of this? Um, but thankfully, uh, as I am talking to you here today, uh, we did survive. You made, you made it through. I mean, these are, these are rough numbers because it was a while back, but during those worst depths of COVID, I mean, how many people were on the, the Taylor Herring team that weren't actually on furlough? Not very many, I suspect. Uh, that, that, that's a good question. We were a smaller team then. Um, there were about 20 of us. I think we... At one point, maybe half of the agency was on furlough. Um, we did manage to bring people back pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And yeah. 
But that's pretty stressful, isn't it? Because, I mean, I don't know. I can't remember the exact, the exact numbers. But you spent about 20 years building this business up. And we all get quite proud and passionate about these these businesses that we build. Um, and it was, you know, it was cracking business. It is now again, I should, we, we should, we should add. But it, on the face of it, sort of be disintegrating before your eyes. I mean, did you, did you must have had a moment or two? Well, luckily, we definitely had a few moments, but luckily it was quite short lived. And I think the reason why we came through it um, is that we're very fortunate that we've got quite a lot of long standing client relationships. In fact, even some of our, um, you know, biggest retainers now are people that have been with the agency for like 10 plus years, which is pretty, pretty unheard of. Um, and a lot of their in-house teams had been furloughed. Um, and so we stepped up really and doing quite a lot of things that we wouldn't have been doing normally. Crisis comms, internal stakeholder comms, loads of content creation. And we, we really just had to sort of roll up the sleeves, knuckle down, help out, be useful. Um, but we also had to really radically evolve and reshape the kind of work that we were doing because it needed to be flexible because the regulations were changing every other day at the time about what you couldn't do, couldn't, couldn't do. Need to be sort of relevant, thoughtful to customers and what was in their minds at, at the time. And of course, it needed to be COVID safe. Um, and I remember, but actually, some some you know really good, fun, creative solutions to some of these problems presented themselves. So when the Notting Hill Carnival was was cancelled for the first time in its decades-long history. Um, we helped take them digital and online for the first time and shot loads of great films with dancers and um, chefs and choreographers and people and made the event still happen, made it happen online. Um, I remember we worked with Just Eat on, on highlighting the fact that some of their restaurant partners, that all the doors in the restaurants might have been closed, like the Greggs, for example, um, but you could still order via delivery. And so I think with, with Greg's, we did a sausage roller skating delivery service. Um, I remember that. Yeah. But what, what, send us a couple of those videos from those, because it was sort of, at one point it was everywhere you can twist Zoom, wasn't it? To try and get some, rinse some creativity out of it. And I, I haven't looked at those for a, a couple of years and I would... I wonder how they they sort of stood the test of time. When we looked yeah, I know. At some point, we need to do a screening of, of, of what we did back then. And one of my favourite ones that we did was what, with the Beano. We um, we kind of realised that although that kids were having a really terrible time, um, you know, being at work, we're doing lessons from home and stuff. That mum and dad were having a shocker as well. So we we came up with the idea of being old, which was the first ever comic for grown ups. Um, and we t- and that was a satirical pull out in the middle of the magazine, lots of good fun comic strips with the likes of Dominic Cummings and Marcus Rashford and people. Um, with EasyJet, we were doing much more a kind of, you know, difficult sort of biosecurity storytelling around trying to reassure kids what it would be like sitting on a plane with a load of people wearing masks and trying to make that fun. Uh, work with a Marvel artist on, on redesigning some fun masks um, and just shooting lots of content to kind of re- reassure passengers about the fact that it was going to be safe to travel right. but when I look back on it I think, I think ultimately I think coming through it all those client relationships are even stronger than they were now um which is who, who would have thought but when you're in the trenches together and properly like a, a, every day just trying to keep businesses um alive um in in those tricky times has made us all stronger but going back to the business story so you had this Nadia moment in effect um and what I mean, clearly it came back very quickly. Um, 
And it sort of came back very quickly for the market, didn't it? Did you do anything special, do you think? Or 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 did, I think everyone was quite surprised how much that consumer PR spend came back um, pretty, pretty quick. It, I don't know, something like from the summer of 2020. I can't quite remember the dates, but it was, it, it, was that basically what happened? That's how, that's, people started spending money again. Was that, was that how you turned it around? I think that's right. I mean, you know, everyone had had a, had a, had a, a, a quarter of, terrible trading and things needed to be amped up really quickly and actually in PR we've got the agility piece on our side we can do stuff really quickly um, and that's why I think consumer PR probably fared quite well in in that second quarter of COVID. And and how quick did so it, the how quick did it all come back yeah roughly it, you you got back up to roughly where you were by the third quarter 2020 something like that? But pretty much I mean it sort of surprised us that we had a, a resoundingly good summer actually probably better than the summer of the, of the year before it normally tends to be can be slightly quieter in terms of media spend because everyone is keeping the the coffers uh safe for a big christmas spend so actually it was a boom summer in terms of spend um so it, it actually evened things out right and then we'll fast forward to, to we're bringing publicists in there at this point I mean, did they approach you did you approach them i imagine you've known chris McCafferty for a little while i don't know did, was that relationship part of what what connected the two businesses no chris for many many years yeah um hanging out at the Cannes film festival and awards ceremonies and stuff and he's a mate um but no it was a completely unexpected out of the blue inquiry um we'd never been seeking a buyer and we were certainly weren't on the market it wasn't part of our plan um it, it was a surprise um a really nice surprise in fact i remember that i was actually mowing the lawn um at five thirty on a Thursday afternoon when he picked the phone up. And who was on? I mean, was it Chris or was it somebody else? Was it a third? It was Chris. Right. Okay. The, yeah, the initial call was from Chris. And I remember what he said. He said, look, you know, obviously the the, 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 the whole industry and the market's in a bit of turmoil at the moment. And we, we at Publicists have decided that rather than panicking about what's going to happen in the next three weeks, we're going to think about the next three years. And we're going to think about the strength and depth that we need to add to our suite of agencies um, and with that in mind, we've decided um, that we could really use, um, you know, some great, con- great consumer creative firepower in our influence practice. And would you be interested in a chat? And if so, um, you know, his boss, Annette King, would love to meet you, have a conversation and then it sort of rolled from there. And, and what you just said, actually, Chris, I'm cutting my lawn. So we'll talk about this. Can we talk about this another time? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, and then, and I mean, when either I look at or chat to people about this stuff, right? Whatever buying a business is clearly a a, a game of, of risk management from the purchaser's perspective, maybe from your from the seller's perspective as well. Um, so, what they like is a nice uniform set of accounts that grow every year and show a nice stable business, which clearly you didn't have. So, did they just not worry about that? Did they just say, "Well, that was COVID. We don't we don't mind." I think that, yeah, yeah, bang on, really. I mean, you know, we had 19 years of proven track record of steady growth, being a profitable company and decent client list and a good body of creative work. And so they recognised that the situation that we were in was actually a similar picture to agencies across the entire country and in, in their own group. So that didn't really concern them. Slightly concerned me at the time, I think, about what where we would look like financially at the end of the year if we did go on. But like I said, I think... While the rest of the industry was in a bit of a tail, tailspin, 
um, publicists were thinking about the next stage of, of growth and, and, and we were there um, at the moment that they were having those conversations. So um, great. And I mean, we won't talk about it too much, but the due diligence process is always kind of interesting. I mean, was that utterly painful or, or was it all right? Well, there's two bits to it, really. I suppose there's the informal due diligence. And so Chris and, um, and Annette King handed out their address, their contacts books and said, right, these are the CEOs of all of our group companies. You can speak to absolutely anybody. There are their mobile numbers. Have a chat to them. Find out what it's like from the horse's mouth about working inside our group. So we did a lot of that. Chatted to probably a dozen people um, at, uh, in different points in the, in the group. Um but I guess probably what you mean is the sort of the harder end of the of, of the legal and financial due diligence. Well, which, both, to be fair. But yeah, it's interesting that yeah. Well, for for Kath, um, um and also for Lucinda, I had a business affairs, and on Leslie, I had a finance. It was a full time job for eight weeks. Um, and if for those on, on listening in who don't know what's involved here, you know, every single employment supplier and client contract going back five years needs to be uploaded into a into a digital kind of portal. Um, and as an agency that's been around for a bit, some of our contracts were in paper, some of it was in digital. There's lots of scanning, lots of stuff. But Kath runs an extremely tight ship when it comes to the organisation side of things. So for so for many others, I think it could have been a much more long drawn out process than it was. Um, and you know, there weren't any, there weren't, we didn't have any skeletons in our closet or any any uh, inland revenue uh, errors. So um, we passed with 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 flying colours and, and moved on to the next stage. But you said that happened about eight weeks. Is that I mean roughly? That was so it was pretty quick. Well, no, I mean, the entire pro- process was a sort of, there was a slow romance that re- that went from sort of April through until early December, I think, until okay. we kind of got to heads of terms. And then there was four or five months of of the of the due diligence and contracting process before we eventually did the deal. So maybe 18 months in yeah. all, first is... conversation to announcing the deal. Right. Um, and then since the deal was done, I, I, yeah, I'm covering ground fairly quickly here because we're, we're going back a bit. But your fee income, I, I mean, you tell me, James, but I reckon it's increased by about 40 percent, isn't it? Is that is that right? Yeah, something. I mean, yes, we've we've had three really great years on on the go. I think in, in, in 2020, we were about just short of five in, in revenue. Last year, we we did six point seven five and and for 2022 sorry for 2021 um about 6.75 and then seven and a half in revenue last year so we and the reason for this is that obviously since joining group we've been really focused on growth and for the first time in the company's history we actually scoped out a proper plan to build out that strength and that depth um internally we called it the third runway um it was like about putting that infrastructure in ahead of the growth normally i think when when you don't have a growth focused agency and stuff, you're quite hand to mouth. And if you win a couple of extra accounts and you need to service them, then you think about how you might hire into doing them and everything else. But we put a plan together about what we would need and what we would need. And it was clear from this would be some big hires. So we really invested in our creative department. We brought in Laura Marta as our creative director and two um, uh, creatives underneath her. We brought in a head of strategy from Diageo, Charlie McWilliams. Um, we hired a, a new head of production and two senior producers for our production team. And we kind of grown from sort of 25 to, I think, currently about 55 people over that two-year period. So there's been a real, uh, you know, the, 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 the earnout has been a success, I would say, because of 
because of a lot of planning um, and, and a lot of thoughtful planning about what to do to get to that next stage. So, um, so this is a sort of potentially, maybe it's relatively early days, but it's looking like it might be a rare example of a PR acquisition that's, that's actually worked. Well, let's hope so, Ben. I mean, it's still early days re- relatively, but and we've done a few few things that I think we haven't done before quite 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 as well in our past. We've really doubled down on our core clients and on our existing clients. And actually seeing that as being organic growth has actually been our number one opportunity uh, for growth and declining probably more pitches than we ever have done before. Because when you add up the numbers on those pitches, it runs into hundreds of, can run into hundreds of thousands of, of, of fee income over the course of a year in terms of those hours. And you need to be really, really careful where where, where you place those bets. Um, because in essence, the, the pitch process might cost more than the, 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 the reward at the end of it. Well, very much so. But also you are putting potentially your loyal, um, long-standing clients um, slightly on hold while the entire senior team are... Are, are burning the midnight oil on on trying to win a brand new piece of business. So you know if you if you start pausing that if if you're an agency that doesn't have a growth strategy and doesn't have a team of people who are around to collect up those new business opportunities and you're just piling the pressure onto the existing team, that there is a watch out there that you're going to have an unhappy client base who are ringing up and going, "What the hell's happened in the last two months?" Um, so I, I actually think that, you know, the, very often the biggest growth opportunity for an agency, agency is actually sitting right in front of them and actually looking how you can expand and broaden that portfolio, how you can potentially, you know, upsell other opportunities into different bits of the, of, of the comms mix, because certainly PR doesn't feel anything like it did when, when we started um, 20 years ago, or even anything like it did, frankly, five years ago, the, the blending of of social and PR and content and brand and events and stuff is just means there's a much bigger playground. Yeah, we'll we chat about that integration piece in in just a moment. The just want to how does it work with MSL? I mean, are you sharing clients now? Have you when you're talking about your new business plans? Are you was that part of the strategy that I don't know Taylor Herring come in and give a whole bunch of, of MSL clients a bit of a bit of creative spice, or is that not quite the plan? No, we're we're pretty different entities, really. I mean, they're they're definitely our bigger, grown-up, um, international, mature, big sister in terms of what they do, and obviously they're they're outstanding at what they do in their corporate work, in their influencer practice, and and the stuff that they're doing there. We have we are collaborating on Nintendo, um, and we've we've we we did a joint pitch with them. That's the f- first time that, that that we've done that. I mean, they're very busy. We're very busy. Um, but I mean, the, there are plenty of great group opportunities for us out there to be working with with the wider agencies, and and I think we're you know we're, we're shortly going to announce two or three of those that we've been kind of hatching over the course of last year. Um, but like I said, I think the truth is we've been very busy with our own organic growth. Um, and I, but I very much see the rest of this year and going into next year is about how do we get played into supporting the likes of Sachi and Sachi, Leo Burnett and MSL and other agencies within the group about um, bringing some earned media firepower to what they do. Right. And how does it feel not owning your, your business anymore? Or, or were you just ready? I have to say, I I didn't... I was worried about how I was going to feel about that. But in reality, it doesn't feel like that. And I think that we're constantly reminded by, by Chris that um, 
trying to protect our independent spirit, our attitude, our uniqueness and stuff is really important to who we are in terms of the, the, the flavor of the kind of work that we do. Um, they're really supportive of trying to protect that independent spirit and that uniqueness. But the best thing I would say about it is that they're really ambitious for us, probably more ambitious than um, perhaps we were. And actually having somebody over your shoulder, like a kind of mentor uh, slash business partner that's going, do you know what, you should take this idea, um, you know, or you should take this idea above the line. Or what about if you did that in another market? Or what if you teamed up and you did this? Or why don't you hire three new people in this department rather than one? So they're pushing us forward, um, which is great because I think we we never really did that before. We were probably quite cautious in in and and definitely more cautious than we were before we joined group than we are now. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are not all, but a lot of entrepreneurs are, aren't they? Um, in our pre-show chat, you said um, prior to sale to publicist, you'd basically run Taylor Herring as a lifestyle business for nineteen years. I, I, watching you over the years, I would I wouldn't put that to you at all. But it's interesting that you thought that. Um, so, so what did you what did you mean by that when what define a lifestyle business? Because you look you look to me like a guy who's working pretty hard. <laughs> I definitely work hard for it, but we have never had a business plan. Literally, never written a plan, not even on a napkin, in terms of what we wanted to do. I mean, broadly speaking, what Kath and I wanted to do was do great creative work for nice clients and make it a really great place to work. I think our only guiding light as, as Taylor Herring was to make sure that we would look different from what was out there. And I suppose, you know, in the early days, we actively veered away from doing press office type work and we wanted to make a name for ourselves of doing big splashy launches and stunts that would create talking points. By doing that, you become a go-to agency in a field of three rather than being a generalist in consumer PR in a field of 150. Um, and so from a strategic point of view, that was very purposeful and very consciously done to try and build a name for ourselves and, and, and to do that. Actually, now 60% of our clients is retained. We do a lot of press office work for people. We're, we, we, we do all of that now. But back then, it was definitely the right thing to do. Um, and if you narrow that field of consideration, you've only got a couple of you know competitors. So... That I think that's what I meant by that. So not having a business plan, uh, other than just your in your in your heart and in your head, what gets you out of bed in the morning was was really the guiding light that we had. And just moving on to the sort, of, I suppose the integrated stuff that um, you've hinted at a few times um, as we've been chatting. Just going back to that, then. I mean, you started off wanting to be a, a created earned media agency. Now you're doing a bit more press office work than you have done previously. Where are we on? Where is Taylor Herring on that journey? Where is PR on that journey? Um, where do you think we're going to get to? I think integrated is the single biggest opportunity for a consumer PR agency if they basically want to change their game and, and step up. And the truth that I think the way we've been success, successful at it. And, so, and I, can't, I can't remember who it was who told me this, but basically, if you stop sounding like a PR agency in a marketing meeting, they're going to really sit up and take notice. You need to sound like, you know, a creative agency who's going to put an idea on the table um, that goes broader and wider than just getting editorial coverage um, and think about how you can explode a big, powerful, creative idea into loads and loads of channels, including into pay. 
So the work that we've been doing for Miles Wrigley over the course of the last couple of the years with Bounty, um, which is very much a collaborative collaborative venture with us and the marketing team there, is to look about how we bring that sort of earned media thinking, but we bring it not just obviously into PR, but into experiential, into retail, into on pack, into social and into content. The camp, the big Christmas campaign that we did for Paddy Power, where where the big Christmas campaign we did for Paddy Power um, before Christmas was initially born and conceived as a as, as a PR campaign, um, and as we were building it, it was like, what would this look like if we did it on TV? How would this work onto radio? What would happen if it was on Out of Home? And suddenly, you know, we we were we were working on a million pound campaign. So it's a bit um, of a cliche. Are those? Or maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe in reality, this isn't true. Would you define those as earned first campaigns? Does that is that what gave you the advantage, or is that just not a reality anymore? I think that um, that earned first thinking really, 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 really cuts PR different from, from the rest of the pack when it comes to integrated thinking because. PR is far better at agility, and I would say PR are better to run integrated strategy than perhaps an ad agency is, because it is easier for earned to turn into paid than it is for paid to turn into earned, at putting it at its most simple. So, and does that, so is that, would you say that's a competitive advantage for a PR firm still, or are the ad agencies catching up? Ad agencies are just brilliant at things that ad agencies do. They're extremely good at, you know, at stra- extremely good at strategy and, um, and, and that sort of strategic thinking, which actually provides the science and the rationale and the methodology for why that money should be spent there and on that audience. And PR's got some catching up to do there. But we do find that the, the, the story that we're hearing from brands is that they want work that is going to be famous. They want to do every single campaign needs to be talked about and have the ambition to be something that can be talked about without loads of pay behind it. And if you approach a campaign with the, you know, with the eyes of a, of a PR person who, who is used to trying to make a story fly um, in the face of the most cynical journalist out there, your storytelling abilities in that space are are really much sharper than somebody who's used to having their ideas fly just on the basis of the media budget. And clearly, we, I mean, we've got so many channels now. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it takes a bit of planning and a bit of management, doesn't it? But I mean, we have been talking about integrated marketing for I don't know twenty years, haven't we? So are we there yet, or are we? Uh, uh, does it just keep evolving and we never quite get there? What, I, I'm just a bit. I'm trying to work out wh- where it just depends. Where marketing think, is and where PR is within that within that model. It just really varies from client to client. There are some clients that we deal with who are extremely siloed um, in their thinking. You know, the social media team might even be in a different town in the UK, let alone even in the same office. And people are very, some people can be very proprietorial about their budgets and some people can be very proprietorial about the specific kinds of messaging that need to run in, in, in individual channels. But I would say that the most enlightened clients and the people that are having the most cut through, the likes of the KFCs and the IKEAs and, 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 and the brands that we, that we, that we all know and recognise for doing this kind of work is the gold standard now. And we're, we're heading towards that. And we have to because... 
you know, consumers are shutting out conventional advertising. They're fast forwarding through their ad breaks. They've got um, ad blockers installed on their phones. You know, the, interestingly, the only format that seems to get any social airtime seems to be a billboard at the moment. And that seems to be <laughs> the new plaything of people in PR and in advertising. It's like, what could we do as a one-off stunt billboard that will potentially fly on Twitter and LinkedIn? Yeah. A great bit of a conversation. But that that is, you know, it's. I've seen more of those billboards in being on sort of the marketing stroke PR press than I have actually in real life. If you know what I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen them cut through to non non PR and marketing mates. But anyway, that's but but so so what's your perfect brief then? I'm intrigued by that because I mean I know there is, there's no brief is the same really. But are you saying that you're you're seeing Taylor Herring as trying to be at the epicenter of all of that stuff. So you're taking an idea, you're making it work work across earned, owned, um, shared media, paid media, all of the above, um, and you're pushing it out on the channels as appropriate, obviously, depending on the audience. Is that is that happening or is that still the dream? The thing is, you might not get a brief that says what you've just said, but what you need to do is to go back in and present it like that because you should go into it having a bit of a hunch that maybe some of the other agencies in the mix don't necessarily have a big idea. The client wants a, a powerful, resonant idea that will you think, work. You still think the big idea is still, it's almost become a cliche, isn't it? But it, you still think that's right, that that big idea is absolutely crucial to the whole thing. Marketeers, are, they're, they're looking for a joined up idea, which resonates and rings true in every single channel rather than things that are different. And the worst articulation of that is when you're asked to PR someone's advert and that never, ever works. <laughs> That never, ever works. Now, if you were able to rewind history and time and have every all agencies working together from the get-go collaboratively on the same brief, then maybe you would come up with good integrated campaigns in that way. In my experience, it works better, perhaps, if people are working separately within their own discipline and then they come together and they work out, what if we put some pay behind this piece of content that's come from the PR agency? Or what if the PR agency put some new savviness into how, how we how we blow up this billboard campaign uh, or the, or this TV spot um, with, with some other PR architecture around it. Right. Now, I think it's, it's fair to say, um, you know, that, that the economy is having a toughish time at the moment, but PR's had a good five years, hasn't it? Um, where, where do you think we're going next? Um, we, we all want to be more ambitious about the sector and, and all the rest of it, but where, where do you think we're headed? I mean, I think there are. I think there are good times. I think the writing is on the wall for interrupting people with adverts. I think that we're we're firmly moving away from that space, and that means that people that have got good creative ideas that are going to grab people's attention, get talked about in offices and down the pub, is the way forward in terms of trying to, in terms of where brands need to get to. Um, I think that there's been lots of talk about this, this year being being um, you know. A, commercially going to be tough and challenging for people but from what I'm seeing at the moment PR seems to be having a quite good run at it at the moment and I think that you know we we we, we offer good value for money um we're, we're super agile and we're responsive we wake up every morning we're reading the newspapers we're really tuned into what's going on um and it's kind of it's sort of built into us um of, of how brands can fit into that conversation so I think PR is very well positioned to have a great five years ahead of it fingers crossed let's hope so james um thanks so much for coming on the show pleasure thank you ben 
Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.